Hello and welcome to Speak About the Spark. This is the first in an occasional series of podcasts brought to you by createschool.ie. We're going to meet with some very talented creative types and talk about their own creativity and the processes that they use and learn some tips and techniques that others, i.e. you and me, might find useful. My name's Peter Baxter, I'm a songwriter and performer, and with my work at createschool.ie, I'm involved in a variety of different creative activities, such as filmmaking, podcasting, and songwriting. In fact, it's songwriting that was and is my first love, and today I'm delighted to share with you a chat I had last year with one of the main songwriting influences in my life. His name's Eric Bogle. I've been listening to his songs since, well, since I can remember. Now, Eric's been writing and recording and touring since, since the early 70s. And if you can't find an official website, it's because he closed it. And he has no presence in social media. And I think the reasons for this are fairly evident when you listen to him speak on the podcast. And the band played waltzing Matilda As the ship pulled away from the quay And amidst all the cheers The flag waving you may not know the name Eric Bogle, but I guarantee you know at least one or two of his songs, most notably And the Band Played Waltz and Matilda, and No Man's Land, or The Greenfields of France. But he's written so many other great songs, and I'd urge you to delve into his back catalogue. His new album Voices was released last year, and is available online. What's remarkable is that still after all these years, he enjoys writing songs, and the quality is still brilliant. I hear it calling, calling me home, to where sister with sister, and brother with brother, all walk together. No one's ever alone There is a heartland And I see it clearly But only when the whiskey Reveals it to me So without further ado, here's Eric Bogle and you'll hear him speak about the spark. Eric Bogle, welcome. Good to be here, whatever here is. <laughs> Indeed. Is it Dublin people? Dublin. Dublin. Yeah, this would go out. We, we Song school would be right around Ireland, north, oh, south, oh, everywhere. Good, yeah, good. and occasionally in Spain, <laughs> all over the place. So I've got a couple of questions. We want to just tap into the idea of creativity, particularly, and songwriting and some ideas. So when did you start writing songs? Well, I've written poetry since I was about eight years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, doggerel, really. I mean, you couldn't call it poetry, but I always enjoyed making things rhyme. You know, it's a bit of a trick, but I always enjoyed it. Mm. Um, so I used to write for the school magazine quite a lot, you know, short stories and poems um, from Bouta. That was my pen name, Bouta. B-O. B-O-W-T-A. It was A to B backwards, which is the class I was in. It was so, you know, I was a wee boy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've always enjoyed writing, uh, not just poetry, but writing stories. 
Um, I can't remember a time where I didn't do it. Do you still do it? Oh, I still write poetry. I still write songs. I haven't. I've written a couple of articles in the last couple of years, but no short stories. I used to write a few short stories, but they're, they're pretty bad. I saw an article online actually talking about the Joss Stone cover. Well, that was, I was asked for a comment, and yeah. I made a comment. Um, I was annoyed to be asked to be make a comment. You know, uh, I was just having, you know, a nice quiet retirement in Australia, and all these people got offended on my behalf. And that offended me, to be honest. Um, so the Guardian newspaper asked me for a comment on the whole mm. Stramash, and I made as dignified a one as I could and made a few points that, mm. to the people who, you know, assumed things on my behalf that, that they'd got the wrong end of the carrot. Um, I don't like leaping into the public forum to criticise or talk about other musicians. Yeah, fair point. I don't like doing it. Uh, I don't like doing it in a critical fashion. Yeah. I don't mind going in and saying they're wonderful, mm -hmm. but um, I hate it when fellow musicians leap into the public arena to criticise other fellow musicians. Of all people, they should know how difficult this game is, you know. Yeah. So all my career, I've, I've tried to avoid doing that. I'm super critical and catty, you know, at parties when I'm drunk, but I don't leave into print with it. You know. Well, it's interesting because I, I was going to end up and uh, a little while I thought it might steer is to go towards music today. So it's an interesting debate, uh, an interesting point rather, because it's a different game, you know, and so it might lead to that. But just curious about the... Uh, creative process again so you keep books you probably have loads of books oh, there, I'm but yeah. voracious reader I've been all my life oh, but your writings as such you know if you say you're writing your poetry and your prose would oh you, yeah. I've got yeah I've got lots of them but they shall be destroyed upon my death <laughs> I've made my wife promise that you know none of the poems will ever be published because okay. they're the dark side of the force right fair <laughs> enough yeah, that's interesting and these days, when you're uh, writing, do, do you use technology in any way, or would you? No, no. Uh, technology is wonderful. Uh, I use technology in recording. Mm. You know, my iPhone. Uh -huh. If I get a wee idea for a uh, a melody or a, a phrase, I'll when I remember, I'll switch on the iPhone and record it and sing it into it or whatever. Yep. Yeah, and that's proved handy on a couple of occasions. Uh, sure. That's as technical as I get, really. I mean, and then, I mean, it's good to type out the lyrics on the computer when you're finished. Um, the technology is uh, every day. You, it's gobsmacking what they do. Yeah. But the most gob well, gobsmacking piece of technology is still the human brain, um, and doesn't need a plug to to get it going. Um, I. Ideas for songs gestate in my head for sometimes months before they actually come out. Um, and no amount of technology is going to help me uh, until my brain says, right, you know, I'm going to send a message to your fingers now, right? <laughs> and your bum, and you're going to sit down and start writing. That's, that's as much technology as I need to be a songwriter. And would you have... Uh, that that doesn't faze you the fact that you could have so many ideas and they might just skip away or you'd forget them or you'd lose them. Yeah. 
well, it's part of the game. I mean, I've just, I did an interview uh, just before this one where I was asked much the same question and where do I get the ideas? And I get, I'll get a dozen a day. If you pay attention to this world, you know, and listen and observe, then uh, you get ideas time after time after time after time. <clears throat> My brain is always full of ideas that one day might make a song, if I remember it. And our brain's also empty of, you know, other stuff that, you know, came in years ago and I've forgotten. Um, but I've never, I've got a friend who keeps a um, little uh, mini tape recorder under his bed, songwriter, mm -hmm. and it's constantly with him. He goes everywhere with him and every thought he has, every, any idea, any snatch of uh, music, on it comes and but now he's got these he's got hundreds of these little mini tapes. And does he listen back to them? He does, and he says, oh, "What's that about?" <laughs> what was it? <laughs> he confuses himself. Yeah. Well, oh yeah, I mean he's a good songwriter too, yeah. so and it works for him. Uh -huh. That sort of structure doesn't work for me. Um, but I know a lot of songwriters who treat it uh, not as a nine-to-five job, but, but are very disciplined. I have spent my life trying to teach myself discipline and failing miserably, so um, I wait for the muse to hit me across the head and say, right, Eric, you know, uh -huh. time you did something here. I write in bursts. I tend to accumulate ideas for two, three years sometimes and avoid putting them down. And then whether it's guilt or, uh, you know, a creative burst, and, I'll write six, seven, eight songs at a time. Right. Um, and then I'll have a fallow period again and then I'll, I've always done that, you know. Um, and I've never analysed why. It works for me. I've talked to many of my fellow songwriters and they've got totally different methods of writing songs mm -hmm. and it works for them. That's why I don't do songwriting workshops and say, you know, all I can talk about is how it works for me. Sure. And everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't bother wasting their time or mine by telling them how to write a song. Mm -hmm. Because, it's, you know, why should they do it my way? Yeah, yeah it's, and, but your, your way, you'd conventionally um, or, or normally write down the lyric then and then get the guitar and put music to it. What I usually do is write down in blank verse mm -hmm. what I want to say. Yeah. Once I've got the subject matter, I think, well, what do I want to say about that? I do a wee bit of research sometimes on the net, so mm -hmm. that's where technology does help, just to make sure I've got some facts right and geographical positions right and all that sort of stuff. And then I'll write sometimes quite a few long, few long pages of blank verse of all the things I think are important to this particular subject yeah. that should be said. And then I'll cull them, and then I'll go through them and say, so, oh, well, no, that's a bit over the top. I've already said that in some ways. I've said this and that. And get it down to as little uh, verbiage as I can. Because the soul of art is brevity. And it's something I've been striving for all my career with some degree of failure. Um, 
And once I've culled it down to what I think is an acceptable time limit and I'm saying all I want to say, then I'll make it rhyme. And rhyming's important, do you think, then? No. It's a trick. Um, But I've always loved doing it. When I was at school, I loved rhyming. I loved rhyming. You know, it's just a trick. Um, It can be a very evocative trick if you do it properly. But I've got, you know, some of my favourite songs haven't got a rhyme in them, Mm. you know, of of other people. So it's not necessary. It's today's... uh, Accepted today that it's got to rhyme, you know, especially with a love song, you rhyme June and Spoon and Moon and all that sort of stuff. But it's not, it's not really necessary. If your words are evocative enough and strung together well enough and presented musically well enough, uh, then that's all that matters about any song, any work of art. You know, my guitarist John Monroe's got a beautiful song about. Um, lost children who were orphans who were shipped across to Australia, you know, and told they were orphans when actually they'd been abandoned by their parents or they'd been taken away from their parents often. He wrote this wonderful song about a migrant from Derby who managed to find his real mother but a month too late. You can imagine a fairly evocative song. It's a beautiful song. He's a good songwriter, John. And it took me years to realise there wasn't a rhyme in it. It didn't rhyme, but it didn't matter. Isn't that um, brilliant? Yeah, it's got layers yeah, there. Yeah, that's exactly right. And because he had the musical chops to get away with that, um, I don't. I can't play the guitar well enough to add a layer to that particular... I've got people who can do it for me, but I don't do it myself. So yeah. I tend still to rhyme things. But it's not necessary. It's an accepted form, and it's certainly the accepted commercial form that might make you money, but it's not necessary. Now, it's interesting because we often, when we're working with um, people who are often asked about the rhyme, and personally, I think one, one of the things that puts me off a song is when you can guess the next line, you've never heard the song before because they're oh, yeah. so obvious. But yeah, there's some very funny rhymes, and I was going to ask about songs. I've actually, we've met before. You won't remember. I was 10. <laughs> you were my first gig. And uh, you played in Campbelltown, actually, at the Irish Centre. That's, uh, well, it wasn't, it was the Irish Club many, many years ago. So I've been listening to your songs for years and years. And I, I love, uh, I love your way with words. I love humorous songs, particularly, mm. I think, are brilliant. And the, the fact it's such a hard thing to do. It's like telling a joke where it's not always funny the second time. But the songs are, there's a lot of work, a lot of craft gone into... Yeah, I, I, I don't write as many comedy songs or humorous songs as I used to because life's a serious business I'm getting old. <laughs> but I used to enjoy doing them. I, I've yeah. got one of my latest uh, a CD called When I'm Dead and that's supposed to be humorous with a couple of wee obscene words thrown in. Uh, and that's the first sort of... It's it's a bittersweet humour. Okay, yeah, fair play. Yeah, is that online yet? Because I try. I I went on iTunes, didn't see it up there yet. No, so it won't be online for a while. Okay. Uh, it's it's an actual CD that's out now. Right, yeah. It'll be in sale tonight at the concert, folks. If you want to come, no, absolutely, no. absolutely. Um, 
most of what I was going to say you've actually covered anyway. I was just curious. <laughs> <laughs> you've done this before, oh, I think, once I've been reviewed myself again. I was just curious. And, um, co-writes, do you ever do any of that kind of thing? John and I have uh, co-written a few songs together. I, we've been together 36 years. So yeah. I've written a fact we're going to do one tonight at the concert. Very good. With Declan O'Rourke. Ah, okay. Because Declan sings that song occasionally as well. So we had a wee run-through this afternoon or this morning. Uh-huh. And decided, you know, it's a bit rough, but we'll have a go. Yeah. Um, John's a very good uh, melody crafter, and also he's become, you know, a, a very good songwriter in his own right. Uh, on our latest CD, which is called Voices, John's got two songs in it, and they're both crackers. Great. They're beautiful songs. Um, he's got his own CD out, uh, which he released a few years back. He's, he's a very, very competent uh, songwriter and musician. He came to it late in life, and the, but there's no age barrier, you see. No. I mean, I started writing poems when I was about seven or eight. You're saying, yeah. And, you know, here I am, you know. <laughs> a few years on, still uh, doing it. A few years on, still <laughs> doing it. He's still hoping for the big break. <laughs> we were talking there, just to wrap it up then, we were saying before about the idea of now, and I suppose... The purpose of what we're trying to do with the podcast is to, to encourage people because a lot of people would be, be listening to this, say, maybe starting out or interested in a career yeah. in music. It's a very different game than, say, when you were kicking off the career as such. It's what I can understand of it. It's a, it's a very much a Damoclean sword sort of thing. Mm. Uh, there's really two sides to the social media. One is exposure that music can get, I mean, which is amazing. Um, there's quite a lot of examples of, you know, bands uh, having internet hits and then getting huge tours out of this one song, yeah. you know, that, there's lots of those sort of things. Um, I wish to God that when I first started writing songs, I had that chance to put it out there. But with that chance comes the old cyber bully stuff. Which you were referring to before about people commenting publicly. Yep. People think they can, obviously, just put an anonymous comment up. And that's why I hate the cowardice of it all. Um, any person, young or otherwise, but young people are particularly vulnerable, um, should be aware that, that any artistic endeavour, whether you're painting something, uh, writing something, or playing something, will attract his fair share of naysayers, you know, and, and just snipers. Most of it, all of it, stems from jealousy and envy and inadequacy in the, the troll. Uh, that still doesn't make it easy to take when you read some of the incredibly hurtful comments that people make. Of course, <laughs> the easiest way to avoid it is switch off the computer. Mm -hmm. But envy who... And even without that, you have the real critics, the paid critics. Who, you know, you know, they've been critics, you know, critic for the newspaper for a year, so they think they know music. You see. <laughs> they think they know what constitutes good music. Uh, you can't be a person in that job for that length of time without just losing your marbles totally, and your sense of your moral compass really. So. Even without the trolls on the social media that MD will get, you know, they'll put out a song, you know, on Facebook or something, 
you know, you see these wee girls along with this, a little song I wrote for my boyfriend, Jimmy. <laughs> plunky, plunky, plunky. And they're so shy and they're so nice, you know, and the song's yeah. crap. But most people are nice and they'll, they'll put wee comments, that's very nice, dear. You know, that's all this, I'm sure Jimmy would love it, you know. And then you get the, the swine, you know. You go and kill yourself. You've got a voice like a, you know, yeah. and you think you, you, know, you want to reach into the computer and grab them. So you get them. No matter what you try to do, you'll get them. If you want to expose what you think is a reasonable talent to the public, some people will crucify you. And then you get the professional critics. Once you go beyond, you know, the trolls. Yeah. And the people who just want to be nasty, uh, and you bring out, you go to do your first major concert on CD, and the critics fall on you like a pack of wolves, and it's happened to me. It really knocks you. Mm -hmm. uh, no matter how you try to quantify it, qualify it, um, explain it, um, no matter how tough you think you are, um, you've got a program that you've put a lot of your creative life in it and they hate it yeah. and I'll tell you what that's hard to take hard to take um, can you avoid it though I suppose it's no, harder isn't it yeah. you can't avoid it all you can be sure of all that helps you cope with it and helped me is that if I've been honest in my songwriting I've never claimed it was anything more than it was um, I've written, when I've made social and political comment, it came from honest feelings about it. Not, I wasn't manufacturing them mm -hmm. to suit, um, you know, a certain musical movement or, you know, or curry favour with anybody. Um, in the end, if you paint pictures, if you write songs, you play a violin, if you do macrame, any artistic endeavour, um, you're left with you and your creations. And if you've done the best with what talent you've been given, and sometimes it's not much, but and what you've created, either a painting, a piece of macrame or song, has been a, a work of love and honesty, then that helps. Believe you me, that helps. Because um, they don't know you at all. So the people who criticise you, you think, well, they could be right, I can't sing, and maybe, you know, song up, but but a lot of fun writing it, and I meant it, honestly, it was my wee tribute to so-and-so. Now, if you're right, just to write a hit, or make money, or, you know, get women to jump into bed with you, um, if you've got other motives rather than the art itself, then you're in a world of trouble. You're in a world of trouble. Because you don't have that honesty to fall back on once people start tearing you to pieces. And that's what happens to a lot of the fragile ones. They go along the path of fame and fortune and they'll do anything for it, you know. And they waste, sometimes they waste a really good talent by being a sixth-rate Beyonce instead of a first-rate Pauline Smith or whatever the name yeah, is. Yeah. The only advice I don't give anybody starting out, and I really do avoid giving advice to anybody except my wife who needs it, <laughs> um, is 
you have to be yourself. It sounds such a cliche, but especially in the creative business, you can admire other artists and you can, you know, draw inspiration from them, but you can't be them. I've heard a million six-rate, seven-rate Bob Dylans in my career. I was going to say Bob Dylan. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, and other people who just, they're just clones of, yeah. of somebody who was pretty good. Yeah. And you never get a chance to hear what they are. They think the path for success lies in being somebody else. Um, most young musicians, if you watch the talent shows, I can pick who their influences are after the first two lines. It's true. And their movements, the way they project their voice, the song they're singing, you know. And you occasionally then get the, the original that comes on when you go, ah, that's, that's it. That's yeah. the winner. Yeah. And I'm very rarely wrong, you know. I should be a judge. I should be the Simon Cowell of the folk music scene. That could work. There's, a, there's an opportunity. Uh, well, Eric, that's a perfect place to end. And, and thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And look forward to the show tonight. And, and might even, if it's okay, play one of the songs on sure. the show. Yeah. No problem. Anything you'd like us to play? No, no, no. I don't tell people. Okay. Play. Well, we'll pick something and we'll put it on. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, mate. Eric Bogle. He's a lovely voice and a great storyteller. In fact, I could listen to him all day. You'll find some of the points that Eric referenced on createschool.ie forward slash podcast. CreateSchool, if you don't know, is home of creative arts workshops, including Song School. And that particular workshop has been encouraging people, young and old, to write songs and express themselves for over 17 years. If you'd like to get in touch with suggestions and thoughts, please find us, CreateSchool, on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and the like. I thought this might be an appropriate song to end on. It's full of the witticisms for which Eric's quite well known for. It's called When I'm Dead, and you can find it on Eric's latest CD, Voices. Thanks very much to Eric. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. When I'm dead, I'm going to miss the music Of human voices singing sharp or flat of audiences clapping and a thousand toes a tapping, shouts of encore or get off you tuneless twat. I'll miss the sounds of guitars sweetly playing behind a stunning voice that's soaring like a lark, feeling my emotions rising, uplifting, energizing as a lyric line cuts deep into my heart. But I must admit that I won't miss Madonna Rihanna or Shakira or Beyonce They all sound much the same Those superstars with just one name Wish I could pull a chain and flush them all away Now you can disagree, it really doesn't bother me Call me a deaf old fart who's not right in the head well, after I'm gone, you can play their music all day long. I won't care, cause I'll be f***ing dead. When I'm dead, I'm going to miss malt whiskey. The way it tastes and how it feeds my dreams. 
After a couple of wee drams, I'm a totally different man. More like James Bond and less like Mr. Bean. Most of all, I miss my favorite little sausage rolls. Those heart attacks and tasty pastry wrapped. And though it's not too slimming, I'll miss roast lamb with all the trimmings and roast potatoes cooked in lots of animal fat. But I must admit that I won't miss zucchinis or lettuce or broad beans or Brussels sprouts. In planning my cuisine, I include nothing limp or green. At my age, limp and green, I can do without. Though sometimes in desperation at my unhealthy meat fixation, the wife makes me a broccoli salad instead. When my time on earth is done, she can serve up broccoli by the ton. I won't care 'cause I'll be f***ing dead. When I'm dead, I'm going to miss breathing. In fact, that's what I'm going to miss the most. It's something that I've done since I was very, very young. I got quite good at it, though I'm not one to boast. I'll miss the daily regimen of sucking in carcinogens with the smoke from all my daily cigarettes. Smoking makes me feel real tough and all that other macho stuff. So I'll keep sucking fags till I run out of breath. I admit I get pissed off with my hacking smoker's cough and the social stigma my addiction brings. How much it costs me every day to look and smell like an ashtray? Money that could be better spent on nicer things. Ah, to watch your hard-earned cash disappear in smoke and ash should be enough to make a bloke see red. But when I finally cark it, it could charge a thousand bucks a packet. I won't care 'cause I'll be f***ing dead.